Hello everyone, it's Saturday, September 23rd. Welcome to Pop Goes the Girls, where we, two sisters born a decade apart, take a foray through our respective journeys through pop culture. I'm Daisy Kosh. And I'm Chelsea Davidson. This episode is sponsored by the one, the only, the original Munchies. (laughs) You're so good. Which is Doritos, Cheetos, uh, what is it, Roll Gold's uh, pretzels, mm-hmm. and Sun Chips, but the Harvest Cheddar ones, not the French Onion ones, which are also very, very good. Anyway. I only eat half of the things in here, but the half that I do eat, I'm just enjoying. I'm living my best life. Okay. Um, now is the perfect time to tell you that we spoil things during our podcast, so leave now or forever prepare for pop culture spoilers. And this week we are focusing on a fortnight. Yes, the start, part one. Part one of, of our, our Stephen King fortnight. Do you feel the chills already? Yes. Is it creepy? Yes. So and it's not the AC, everyone. <laughs> it is Each the it, horror master. It's the king. It's the king. It is the king. The king. Uh... Each week, we do talk about pop culture artifacts that shape us and why they're memorable. We also have a fan theory fight club where we argue the merits or detriments of some of the fan theories surrounding interpreting different pop culture items, and I will be giving the fan theory this week. So naturally, Chelsea will groan. <laughs> will I, though? Yes. Will I? You will. And lastly, we will play a quick round of Twist the Sister, and this week, I am trying to twist you. No, so no, naturally... I'm trying. I am trying to twist you this week, remember? No, no, you're not. Yes. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You know what? Whatever. Whatever you want to talk about, that's totally fine. Clearly, we're, we're already off to a great start of argumentativeness, so I have a feeling that whoever's trying to twist whoever is not going to win this week. But just so you know, twist the sister is where one of us who loves something, the other one hates or other, is otherwise indifferent about something, we really have to sway them. And uh, we will open it up to a poll for you, our lovely listeners, to decide which sister is right and uh you know take no prisoners this week this is this is the king fortnight yeah so just a shout out don't be wrong he did um a book about writing i think it's called stephen king on writing writing. yeah (laughs) i love this book i read it as soon as i spotted it you're welcome you're welcome another gift from me anyway um i read it cover to cover and now i just go back for it like little bits of advice that he can bestow, yeah, it's, bestow it, upon me. It's <laughs> it's two parts really. It, half of it is a how to write, and the other half is about his life and specifically how, for him, like inspirations he's had. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. I love it because it, it tells you both like how I need a his biography, life, like a real one. How his life experience has influenced his writing, as well as his advice to writers. And it's yeah. both of those things are interspersed. Well, yeah. not, not really. They are kind of divided. But whatever. They're, they're both It feels the like one chapter he's telling you what to do, and another chapter he's telling, about, telling you his a story. Life. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, it's one of my... Very enjoyable. Yeah, anybody who likes to write, I would highly recommend reading that. Okay, so we're going to start off our pop culture artifact, artifact for this week is Misery. I thought you were good, Paul. But you're not good. You're just another lying old dirty birdie. And I don't think I'd better be around you for a while. Don't even think about anybody coming for you. Not the doctors, not your agent, not your family, because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. 
And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. So. You should start us off because you have a very... I have an interesting story. Cute, I'd say, story about Misery. Okay, so Misery is something... It is very much an artifact for me. My dad loved Well, for both of us, but I like for you more because you you brought it into life. And and also it's it was a it came out roughly around the time that I was that age too. It's it's not like it's far off from when I was a kid. Mm. Um so <laughs> misery just for those who don't know what it is about, um there is an author who ends up going to he goes to the woods, that's part of his writing ritual, um, stays in a cabin finishes a manuscript now he's taking this manuscript back he's decided that he's going to end a beloved series and by killing off the main by character. killing off the main character that's how he's going to end the series so he's decided to end off this main series and he ventures off home but it starts to snow and he's on a, a like a mountainous area and somehow he well, it's like an isolated cabin that he goes to when he's needing yeah, time to no, write I said anyway. That. I said that. I said that. No, I'm just saying because he's in an isolated cabin, naturally the area surrounding is all like mountains, you know, back Long roads. Long story short, he slips off the sides of the side of the road and ends up in a di- just a little ways off the ditch in a snow pile. Some wonderful stranger comes and saves him, gets him out, <laughs> prize matters vehicle, and, and takes him to safety. And he wakes up in the home. Of his biggest fan. A woman who... Self-proclaimed biggest fan. Self-proclaimed Annie biggest Wilkes. fan. Annie Wilkes. Played by the wonderful Kathy Bates. Just perfectly The legend. And she is a, a former nurse, I believe. And I Kathy think she Bates. is. She is. The, the whole nurse thing. I think that is true because later he finds out information about her. Yeah. About how she's apparently killed kids, isn't it? That she's been killing okay, babies. Okay, don't fucking ruin it. I know we say that we're going to do spoilers, but don't... Let's give it away. Anyway. You can tell she ain't right pretty early on, okay? He, I'm only spoiling. He's like, trapped in this cabin. 20 minutes. He ain't going nowhere. He's uh, heavily drugged. There's a lot of shit going on. and uh, He thinks he, he's recovering, but he's, really she's it's a hostage situation. Yeah. And uh, she's reading his manuscript now. And uh, she's a big fan. So think how she's that She's a big fan f- of Misery. Who is, by the way, the character. The name of the character in his books. We didn't say that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so here's my story. So when I was a kid, my dad had no regard whatsoever, and I I still think he's probably this way, (laughs) for child friendliness. What is an appropriate thing to show your, you know, young daughter? The important thing to remember here is I was first or second grade at the very most. Um, I think you were in first. I watched Misery because my father wanted me to watch it. (laughs) And, uh, like I said, She's keeping him heavily medicated in this movie. So I went to school, and there was a teacher and a teacher's assistant or, or a student teacher, something of that nature. And she was they were talking to each other, having a, like a grown-up conversation while also in the room. And I am such a fucking eavesdropper. So I was listening to it, and she was talking about her boyfriend or husband or whatever, and how he was on um, like Percocet or something to that effect. I don't know what it was. It, <laughs> Um, sedatives, so, some form of sedative, mm. and, um, <laughs> and and I just blurt out, "Oh, I know what that is," and got their attention. This was not a conversation being had with me. This was just something near Chelsea me. wasn't even supposed to so be. So now, not only have I exposed that I've been listening to their entire conversation, but I, I'm going to double down. I said, "Oh, I know, I know what that is," and they looked at me and they went, "You do," and was and that <laughs> condescension really disappeared real quickly when I went, "Yeah." 
that's what Kathy Bates gives James Caan in Misery. And that was the end of my sentence. And yeah. and then I I must have toddled off to do something else. Leaving them gobsmacked. I remembered the story, though. For some reason it stuck in my mind enough, probably because I'm just obsessed with movies. And it came up at some point later on in life, and I saw the hilarity of the situation. <laughs> and I, I think couldn't you and help I have both, but tell people about I it I think then. you and I have both, like, test the boundaries of what we should know <laughs> when we're yeah. growing up with different things when you're at school. So we both, like, push the boundaries a bit, but sometimes we get ourselves in a bit of hot water, like, you sold out Dad for Misery. I'm not in hot water. And, my parents and, are in hot water. <laughs> and I sold out Mom with, like, my favorite TV show is CSI Miami my and Criminal Minds. My water at best. <laughs> So what is like misery to you? Misery for me, um, you can kind of, I don't know how to explain this. You know when you watch something and you can tell it came from a book? Yeah. Misery is like that for me. You can tell it came from a book. It's well crafted. But, but it feels at the same time, like you don't need to read the book to enjoy this just as much. Like you could watch the movie by itself and yep. not give a shit about the book. Or you could read the book and love the movie the same. Um... But at the It's mind boggling how many Stephen King books became movies, honestly. This is that why man we have, lives to make an adaptation. That's why we have a fortnight because there's yeah. so much material to cover. And we're not even touching we, on all of them. We've already spoken about it in an yeah. earlier episode. Um We did. We uh, did speak about it. Yeah. We talked about it. <laughs> yeah. And if you know, you know. I love it so much. Um Do you love it? I do, I love, you it. love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Um but yeah, I loved James Caan in it, because I'm a sucker for James Caan anyway, between, like, Elf. R.I.P. the legend. Yes, I literally wrote R.I.P. legend. I'm not even joking, <laughs> Chelsea. I'm not even joking. Um, but you I don't say, need notes, you just but, need me. Um, I know, you are my little I'm your little encyclopedia. Um, but I also feel like, when you watch the movie, you can feel how stressed he is, before he's there, because he's trying to finish the book, he's trying to get that done with, he so wants well to close paced. this chapter the of his life. and everything, yeah. He wants to close this chapter of his life, so he's already kind of stressed, then he's finally like, oh, a weight's been lifted. It's over. Is I don't have Lauren to deal Bacall? with this shit anymore. Who, who's, who's his editor again? I think it's Lauren McCall for some reason. I don't remember. And then he's, like, driving home, and then he ends up on a completely different journey, and you can see how stressed he is after this. And this guy, he should have had a freaking heart attack. Because, like, the amount of stress that he is under between his friggin' editor and Kathy Bates is insane. Ding, ding, ding. I am correct. My memory is, is working. Lauren Bacall is his editor that calls him, or agent, or whatever. She gives him a call. She has, like, a five-second scene. But God bless Lauren Bacall. She's just yeah. an angel. Um, the film itself is also a playbook for torture. Because... <laughs> Yeah. I can't remember. Precursor to Saw. I can't remember what the term is for what she does to him with that block of wood. I can't remember what it's called. Don't re don't reveal it. I can't remember what it's called. Can you remember what it's called? Yeah. You want a fun she fact? Not yet. You you love James Caan, right? I do love James Caan. James Caan was not the original offer. William Hurt was offered the role of Paul Sheldon in Misery, not once but twice. Then Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro. Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, and Robert Redford. All of them turned it down. And I kind of get- And James Conn is the best one for it. I have Based to on say, the list you just said, he, he knew how to play it. I feel a theme going on with James Conn, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, well, maybe not Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. Those, they're all Godfather type of people. Like Pacino, De Niro, 
They are James the Kong. gangsters. They're all in the yeah. They're all in it. <laughs> they're the gangsters. Yeah. Um, Gene Hackman definitely has the gangster. He edge has a little bit. Dustin it's Hoffman like has old a school bit, gangster. Like originally, he had a bit of that. Dustin Hoffman for me is always going to be comedic. I never see him as a serious guy. You see him as Tootsie. No, I see him as the dad in Meet the Fockers. Oh my god. I will always see right. him as the dad in Meet the Fockers. Right, I forgot who I was talking to. Um, of course. You like Tootsie, but for me, he's always going to be the funny guy. Anyway, um, the you know, I think Misery, comedy, right? I think Misery was like a direct, has like a very direct connection to me, because the one thing that I would worry about as a writer now is an obsessed fan as a direct result of the events of this movie. Like, no joke. I went into this experience, like, really excited to watch a creepy film, and I came out of it and I was like, if I'm ever going to be a writer and someone tells me that they are my biggest fan, I'll be like, ha ha, do you want me to sign something? And then, like, so security's going to push push them to the side <laughs> away from me. What you're saying is it makes you even less trusting of people. Yes, it really does. It um, ends in a great way, too. That's what I was actually going to say. I love the ending. I love that the comment he makes at the very end of the movie... Oh, you kind of ruined it. When, when... Oh, you're killing me, woman, because you're not supposed to say that. You might as well say there was a hobbling scene in it. Like, you're just killing me. You're killing me! I didn't say that. You might as well. I was going to say when the editor says, why don't you talk about your experiences, and he turns around and he hallucinates her as yeah. the waitress. I'm your biggest fan. Yeah. yeah. And he, is, he he says he's not going to write about it, about his time in captivity and everything, and the waitress, he sees her, it's Kathy Bates, and then he says he still thinks about her from time to time. I think that is so sinister, yeah. but it's also slightly, not cathartic, but also therapeutic to know that he's like, he knows that she's not there, yeah. but it's still haunting him a little but bit. just like forcing him to rewrite as well. Yeah. But, just, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I think... That's a nice little way to put a pin in misery. Yeah. I didn't talk about the hobbling. You went into the hobbling, you weirdo. Yeah. Um, we're not going to tell you what hobbling is because we don't want to ruin it too much. <laughs> I, I think the jig is up. I think people know what that is. Um, it's still, you can tell people, but it's still not the same as experiencing the same. Well, that's why I don't want to tell them. You don't want to tell them? I don't. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to the next. What, what okay. else does the king have to offer? We are talking about the Shawshank Redemption. Where are you to frame? Why a killing banker? Why'd you do it? I didn't, as you ask. <laughs> you can sit right in. Everybody in here is innocent. Didn't you know that? Hey, what are you in here for? Didn't do it. Lawyer fucked me. Rumor has it you're a real cold fish. You think your shit smells sweeter than most. Is that right? What do you think? I'll tell you the truth. I haven't made up my mind. <laughs> I understand you're a man that knows how to get things. I'm known to locate certain things from time to time. I wonder if you might get me a rock hammer. A what? A rock hammer. What is it and why? What do you care? Well, if it was a toothbrush, I wouldn't ask questions. I'd just quote a price. But then a toothbrush is a non-lethal object, isn't it? Fair enough. Rock hammer is about six or seven inches long. Looks like a miniature pickaxe. Pickaxe? For rocks. Rocks. So? So I'm a rock hound. At least I was in my old life. I'd like to be again on a limited basis. Or maybe you'd like to sink your toe into somebody's skull. No, sir. No, I have no enemies here. No? Wait a while. Anywho, so, um... What do you mean, anywho? So, by the way, Shawshank Redemption is based on a novella, not a full book. Well, I... We're, we're going to talk about the kink. 
I was going to say... Rita Hayworth and, and the, the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption is the name of the novella. And I tell you right now, having that as the name of your novella is giving it away. Giving it away. Go on, Daisy. I know you're dying to speak about this. Um, I personally feel... I don't know if you agree with me on this. I feel that Stephen King has a spectrum. His uh, adaptations that became like films that were novellas are some of his best movie adaptations of his work. And I think the movies that are like long as shit, or like the books that are long as shit, mm -hmm. those movie adaptations are the best of his movies. The ones that are in the middle, they're, they're okay. But like Stand By Me and Shawshank, and then you have It on this end. And that for me is like the How trifecta. How do you feel about The Stand? You wrote The Stand, um, that's one of the longer ones. You've the, not seen The Stand, The Stand, have you? I haven't seen. I saw Pet Cemetery and I felt very lukewarm about it. I feel like it's not his best work. Hearts no of, offense to Hearts you, King, Hearts of Atlantis, you are amazing. Hearts of Atlantis or something like that? I've seen that. I don't know. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, we're getting distracted. We're going to be talking about the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, we're focusing on just the movie, right? Because the book and the movie, one and the same. Have you read the book? No, I have not. <laughs> I was going to say, how can you say that when you haven't read it? Go on. Just talk, We're talking about the movie. So, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to overlap a little bit. I love the character development throughout the movie of not just like the main characters like Andy Dufresne and Red, which is... Um, I love the narration of talking about Andy Dufresne. <laughs> Morgan Freeman telling the story. I feel like you think you sound like Morgan Freeman. You do not. Is something that you really have to experience. This was the day for Andy Dufresne. And no. Andy Dufresne got the framed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. That's actually what I'm leading into, very interestingly enough, with my fan theory. I have anyway, feeling. Anyway, I love, love, Evil loved... Evil genius Andy Dufresne. I love, love, loved Tommy Williams in it. And Who's Tommy that? Williams was the guy who, he like robbed a place and he was, he was in the jail later on in the movie. Really young guy. And he hadn't got his GED, so Andy helps him get his GED. Oh, okay. Oh my god. So what happens with his character... Hold on. ...devastated me as a result. Stick stick a fucking page. Because I, I know where you're love, going with that. love, love, love This is a him. movie... Okay. Just, I love just, him so just much. Just for some, some uh, context about who I am, I, later in life, decided that I wanted to become the librarian at the Bibliotheque. And so I'm... You went to two different languages then. The librarian... Oh, okay. At the Bibliotheque. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I really decided that I was going to get super, super into librarianship, and I went whole hog, and that's, I mean, I'm still in that realm with what I do. It's, it's a little different, but it's it's in there, and... Uh, Whatever you need to tell This is a movie. <laughs> this is a movie. Because of the Shawshank Redemption, I wanted to do a co-op in a prison library, but they would not let me. I tried. I, I tried. There's not many around where where I'm located, um, but I tried for the few that were, and I was willing to travel, and they just would not do it. Anyway, that is my story. They, they were like, you're too free to go prison, hon. <laughs> you're staying here. I was. I really, really wanted to do a, a co-op, because I thought that, would, that was fascinating to me. I love that there's a library that they advocate. Andy makes a library in this movie. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sorry. That's not... The movie is not about a library. In case you're just like, oh, snore, I'm going to skip this one. It's about a prison. It's about a, a prison. A corrupt prison. A very corrupt prison. And, and Andrew Dufresne, oh who God. got framed. <laughs> anyway, um, I also personally am a sucker for the fact that Andy Dufresne 
Just a bit of a spoiler. There are guys in it. There's guys Andy? in it. Yeah, Andy. <laughs> or Tim Robbins, who plays him. Yeah. You can't keep saying Dufresne, because I just, I go right into the Morgan Freeman impression. You know what's weird? When I say Andy Dufresne, I think of uh, when New Girl references it, when she, it's actually a blooper that Zoe Deschanel messes up a line. So no one has seen this except for you. Okay? I know. Well, and the, and anyone the else who's seen the bloopers and is a fan of New Girl. I'm a fan Whatever. of New Girl. I've never seen the... Okay. She goes, like, Andy Dufresne and Charchay Shane. Like, she can't get it out, so she screws it up. Anyway, back on track. Um, I love his response to... There's, like, a group of guys who are gay, but not really gay. And when I say not really gay... Gay for the stay. Yeah. As they say. Sure. Um, and they're called the sisters in it. And then there's the guy who's, like, the leader of it, and his name is, like, Boggs Diamond or some shit. Leader of the pack. Um, they proceed to either assault him or, in addition, later on, try to sexually assault him. Um, but I love what he says to him when he turns around. He basically says that he's going to make him do something to him. And his response to that is, you know, that if um, you hit a certain part of my brain when you put that, like, screwdriver in my skull... Yeah. My bite reflex will bite down really hard. Yeah. And it's so scary to him that he throws, he basically tosses the screwdriver away like, we're not doing that. We'll just beat the shit out of him instead. Um, but the issues that the movie deals with, like there's so many themes and so many hot button topics that come up throughout the whole thing of like prison reform and sexual assault and murder and all, like, all loads of shit. The, the, um, uh, issues, one of the greatest things I, I think about the Shawshank Redemption, like, one of the biggest themes, and you see it mirrored in so many different characters, and that is the problem with the concept of rehabilitation. Yes. The idea that prisons... Are you thinking are, of the old guy? There's, oh uh, I'm thinking of more than that. Uh. The recidivism is a big problem in, in American prisons, and in case you didn't already know this, I'm, let me get on my freaking. <laughs> box to tell you something, but um, it's it's an issue where lots of recidivism, if you don't know what it is, is where you return to prison after you are released from prison because it is very hard to reintegrate into life. But the theory about prisons is that they're supposed to rehabilitate you for the return to normal life. And that's a, that's a, a bit of a touchy point for those who are advocating for prison reform. Um, there are moments more than once where you have questions about the justice system. Uh, from Andy Dufresne's character, who repeatedly says that he is innocent. Mm. Um, and from find, other characters. Yeah, yeah. You're up for parole and continue to yep, not get it. Yeah, for yeah, that is a key example. That's actually what I was originally thinking of. Is mm. is uh, Morgan Freeman's character repeatedly requesting parole, and uh, you get to see what each of those hearings in front of a board looks like. Yeah, and what you... And there is one character, and I'm not even going to talk about it because I'll just start sobbing. There is one the character... There is a, an, oh an elderly God. prisoner who is finally released from prison, but he's quite old. He has spent, like, two-thirds of his life or more in jail, and they let him out, and he doesn't even want to be let out. Yeah. They, they kind of force he's him out. He's become so much part of the furniture at the prison that, that he doesn't prison know is his home. any other way to be. And, and the, we won't and, go any further and just, than that. Just to give you an idea, think about you how see, you see what happens. How innovative society has gotten, particularly let's say in the last thirty years alone. If you just look at the last thirty years, how things change technologically. Things have changed with cars. Things have changed with phones. Things have changed, like something as simple as like a self checkout. 
may not have even been a thing that someone oh, would yeah. have seen. Like, shit like this, you don't even think about because you're constantly living in a society where you see these changes. For someone... That doesn't really happen in this because it's set It in does the, for the in, old man because he... It's set in the 50s, though. Like, 50s and 60s. But I mean, he yes, turns around technology, and he, but... But he turns around and says, you know, there was, like, one or two cars when I went to jail, and now there's, like, cars all around him. Yeah. And, like, these little things that people take for granted because they're constantly living in the society that they're in, and it's, like, their own little bubble. They don't think about how everything else has changed. These little changes that turn into huge changes over time, yeah. and it's really His kind of magnified. It, it's, it's pandemic brain on a decades level. Yeah. Um, you're not losing year or losing a, a, a handful of years. You're losing, losing a, your decades. life. You're, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but back on track. Um, I also really liked the for my last point about the actual movie. Before I jump into the uh, fan theory, I love the camaraderie that you get from these guys. Like they're they're kind of shitheads at at the start when kind they're of. like they're, they're prisoners. <laughs> they're betting. They're betting like who's gonna lose their minds and start screaming in the night and say I'm innocent, get me out of here, kind of thing. They bet on that at the start, and you're like, okay, they're kind of dickheads. But then at the end of it, you know, you could see that they are people. They're trying to just get through it's this. It's a coping mechanism for yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. You get the chip on your shoulder because of where yeah. you are. You didn't have that chip until you got there. Yeah. Well, that's what people say all the time, that you weren't a criminal until you went to prison. Yeah, it, they'll make you a criminal. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot so, of series like that. Anyway, I just want to point out... You can, you can talk about what you, you want to talk about before I go into the theory. 30 seconds. Yeah. This is, in my opinion, the best Stephen King movie. Oh, uh, no. Okay. That, that's my opinion. Go ahead. Stand by me is, but okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so this theory, I actually, I was initially really hesitant because I reject this based on how I feel about the movie and the characters within it. Okay. But the whole theory suggests that Andy Dufresne is in fact guilty. He is super guilty. And he uses red to convey, like, the whole story. Anyway, um, so... This theory suggests that Andy is actually, a, like, a master manipulator, and he's secretly guilty all along. So he's a, he's more villain than anti-hero, definitely, and I'm going to get into why. So um, all of his more endearing qualities in it are actually an act, and he's really, like, the most dangerous man there. Because um, there's a clear parallel in this theory. It came from a Reddit user, but the Reddit user has since deleted the post. So I had to get this, like, secondhand from another website that talked about it. So I don't know I, who the I hell came like up with this. I he probably got blasted by people who love this movie. <laughs> yeah. And was like, uh, fucking I'm sorry, you. I'm sorry, I'll leave, I'll leave. Yeah. There's anyway, no wrath like a Reddit um, commenter. So, um, the, they talked about there's a parallel between, like, Andy's love of chess and the intricate requirements of his plan to escape that he basically plays a real game of chess with human pawns in the prison system. So Andy uses the guards, he uses the inmates, he uses Warden Norton, who's an asshole, based <laughs> on you know, when you watch the movie at face value, not based on this theory. And particularly Red as living chess pieces. So at one point... Uh, so he's a sociopath. Yes. Playing people. Yes. Okay. Um, now Red's wisdom, because I think at one point they talk about Red being wise or whatever, but his wisdom is actually um, his naivete. Uh, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further... The theory, not the, like, in the movie, mm -hmm. the reason why 
he goes to jail is that he killed his wife in a and her in lover a, and her in lover a in a rage of passion. So yes. it's manslaughter. That's the theory. Well, I think he goes down for second degree murder, but yeah. And he says, "I didn't do it." Yes. Okay. All right, keep going. Um. So, like I was saying, uh, Red being naive is this whole like wisdom that's discussed later. But they don't. You don't know that he's naive until what I'm getting into. So Red admits that chess at one point is quote total eff is a total effing mystery to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's supposed to be wise, right? Mm-hmm. And so naturally, with chess being something that he doesn't understand, it's a mystery to him. He's not going to see that Andy is pulling the wool over his eyes and using him as his own like human pawn. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and uh, Red believes Andy is innocent because that's what Andy wants him to believe. He's told him it multiple times. He's tried to show him with his endearing qualities that are fake because he's a sociopath. But everybody, hold on. Hold on. I got some holes in this. Um, uh, so the, they, they, this is a bit more metaphorical, what I'm about to say. So Andy moved, like, his chess pieces for an attack on the queen, which is, like, Warden Norton. And uh, he turns Norton into, like, the villain, thanks to the stories that he's told Red, and Red tells the group. And because the group all trusts Red, they just fall in line with whatever Red... He's like the grandpa of the group, almost, yeah. Red is. Yeah, he's the wise old Red, owl. Red, by the way, Morgan is Freeman. Morgan Freeman. I can't remember if we said that, but go on. Um, because, uh, you, like, I feel like you're going to mention how does everyone believe he's innocent including Red, despite all of this. Well, Red gets them all to believe this, and no one ever witnesses any of the interactions between the warden and Andy. Okay. Ready for a page flip? Oh my god, <laughs> please tell me you're coming to the end of this theory. I am. Okay, so, um, that's actually the genius of this con, that he's got Red to do all of this for him, because... Uh, Red, naturally, cannot be a reliable narrator because he doesn't witness any of the real events. He's spinning Andy's woven tale because Andy is capable of swindling Wharton Norton and the prison system that Andy helped concoct in order to escape in the first place. And Andy uses Tommy. This was the thing, this was actually the one thing that was bothering me before mm. because I was like, what about Tommy? Because Tommy comes in and he says what he says and all yeah. that. So, the theory says that Andy uses Tommy to protect himself by planting the idea in his head. So, he's a pawn. Of suppression of the truth. He's a pawn, easily disposable in the, yes. the context. Yes. But Andy, this. like, okay. kind of reinforces it. He's like, see, the system's corrupt, you know? They're, they're trying to suppress the truth yeah. and, and keep me here. And pushes him forward into yes. the line of Yes. Um, Got it. So, if Andy is, in fact, a killer, and he is guilty, like he is at the start... He'd be more than willing to have someone die in the name of ensuring that his story of innocence is strengthened. And it's more likely that he'll either be let out on parole or help his plan go further along for him to escape. Um, and he can be the only one who told Red about the confession that Tommy heard. And you see it later that no one else really knows about this other than Tommy and Andy and Red because it's just those ones that have been sharing the information over and over again. Yeah. Red tells all of the other guys, you know, Tommy said that he's innocent and they're all like, holy shit, Andy's innocent, man. He's like the first innocent guy at Shawshank. Yeah. All that. So that's the whole theory. Do you believe Andy is really an evil guilty man or I, not? I believe, and this is something we've already said this episode, I believe that he is innocent. But 
<laughs> I also believe that all of the crap that you're saying is true. And here's how both of those things are possible. He could have not killed his wife and the lover and everything else you said could be true. <laughs> everything else you've said in this theory is not evidence that he killed the wife. It, it's not evidence that he's guilty. It's evidence that he goes a little bit criminal because he goes to jail. And he could become a killer because he goes to jail. All of that, I think, is valid. I don't necessarily believe that he killed his wife and lover. Possible, but none of the evidence points to that. Zero. And that, so, so I'm in a weird conundrum where I see that the entire theory, evidence-wise, but the but thesis is wrong. But you have the same argument for when Tommy says, oh, my cellmate said such and such happened, and it seems to mirror what happened to Andy. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot in justice system anyway, because usually the first thing that cops always say, whenever someone dies, they always look at the spouse. So it yeah. could be a completely different murder situation. Oh, yeah. yeah. So... I mean, there's a whole movie... Did mo- he really do There's it? a whole movie based entirely on that theory called Gone Girl. Like, yeah. it, it's literally like they're looking at the What a crazy bitch. Switch. We're not going to talk about oh Gone Girl. Oh my god. That, she, that's not a Stephen King book. Yes, we can. Still, we can what a crazy have, bitch. We can have a week Side note, what a crazy bitch. Um, um, but yeah. So yeah, I say, I say no to the theory. Not because do, I don't well, Hold on, do you reject it? the entire theory, though? Do no. you think that it has... I just reject the idea that he killed his wife. So you think he lover. is using them as pawns, but just to oh, yeah. serve him so he can get out of jail I, faster? <laughs> I think he is an ace manipulator. Yeah. And could easily have done all those other things. It ruins the movie a He's little bit. He's kind of standoffish as well. But it's possible. It's hard to really like Andy, but it's also you like hard Andy to dislike him. Of, you like Andy because, because of Red. Red. That's what I mean. He's ding, an unreliable ding, ding. narrator. Yeah. He's selling the idea of him to yeah. you, not the Andy, reality of you, him. You know why you like him? Because Andy Dufresne oh, was framed. <laughs> oh, my God. You Ooh. must really think you sound like... Cause you, like I hear it in my head. I don't know if anybody else can hear it, but I hear it in my head. <laughs> and that, my you'll, friends, you'll is know, how I know I'm You'll crazy. know when we post this and you're like, oh, shit. Oh. Okay, so now we're on to our Twist the Sister for this week. Which, and you said you're going to try try to twist me. Yes, I am going I don't to even twist know you. What it, I don't even know what we're talking about. Go so ahead. So we are going a little bit into the horror realm. <laughs> it's Stephen King week. All of this is horrific. Wait, how are you? Okay. What no, is the I movie? Mean, I mean it's specifically On that connected note, to it the could horror be fucking realm. anything. <laughs> what, what are you trying to I will be talking about both versions, there's your hint, but, of Carrie. I've been invited to the prom. Prom? Yeah, senior prom, you know, everybody's going. It's that teacher that called, wasn't it? Please see that I'm not like you, Mom, I'm funny. I mean, all the kids think I'm funny, I don't want to be, I want to be normal, I want to start to try and be a whole person before it's too late for me to <laughs> His name's Tommy Ross and he's a very nice boy, Mom. No. And he promised to stop in and leave you before him. Why both? Because if I can't sell you on one, I've got a backup movie right there. Oh, I tell you now, <laughs> sweetie, if you can't sell me on the original, the remake is not going to be. Did you see the remake? I've That's seen my first both. Question. I've seen both because you demanded that I see the remake. Yeah. With, with Chloe Grace Moritz. Yes. 
Um, because you and me, we love Chloe Grace that's, Moritz. That's a hard no. Chloe Grace Moritz, I don't know what she was thinking. How dare you? I don't know what she you, was thinking. The only reason you love Chloe Grace Moritz in the first place is because of Kick-Ass. So let's not talk about quality cinema no. introducing you to no, an amazing I, actress. No, I love Chloe Grace Moritz because of 500 Days of Summer. Then she was in Kick-Ass, and I loved her in Kick-Ass. We've got bigger problems that 500 Days of Summer is... That was my initial exposure to her. Yeah, but you should have been watching that movie. I should have been watching that movie. There's a reason movie. I watched it way later. It's because I wasn't ready to have such bullshit and heartbreak thrown at me. Oh, I did Zoe Deschanel yeah. being like a pixie chick. Manic, I can't deal manic, with this. What is it? Crazy? Manic pixie. Manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Yeah. I can't deal the with it. I've, I've heard something hilarious. I cannot remember who said it, but they said, they said everybody loves a manic pixie dream girl until they realize that the first word in that sentence is manic. Yeah. <laughs> that, that made me laugh. I can't. I just, oh. I can't even. All right, go on. So, um, this is, this is more about how I love it more than convincing you. So I'll jump into that and then I'll see where I can weave you into it a bit. So thank you for t- for sharing your strategy. Yeah, please proceed, Your <laughs> Honor. So Sissy Spacek and Chloe Grace Moretz, both versions of this are great. Um, and I do, I think you and I, you won't admit to this because I'm trying to twist you. So whatever I say, you're going to say no. You appreciate an antihero, do you not? I do. You also appreciate an unreliable narrator. I do. You prefer. You also uh, like reversed tales, like when you have. You know, wicked, where you have the yes, worst of the evil, I do. stuff like this. Now, in Carrie, Carrie is supposed to be the one you're afraid of in this because she's the one with the freaking superpowers. I ain't afraid of no ghost. Sorry. Okay. Go um, on. <laughs> she's the one you're supposed to be afraid of because she's the one with the superpowers, and you know, we've all seen the cover with her covered in blood. So you're like, oh shit, she's doing some shit. Carrie didn't do spoiler. Shit. So. Um, we can all agree, I think anyone who's seen Carrie, which you've seen both of them, so we yep. can all agree that Carrie is not the villain in Carrie. Her mom is. Society and her mom. You, you know who I think the real Pius, villain is? Pius, Puberty. Puberty is the real villain in Pious, obsessive religious belief systems. Yeah. Catty bitches in high school. Are the villain. And the boyfriends that support them. Let's, yeah. let's get They're on the villains. Fuck the patriarchy. Let's really get on this. <laughs> let's take them all down, Days. Okay. So, naturally, I think you would enjoy the poetic justice. I think it's in both versions of this. It's been a while since I've seen the Sissy's Basic one, so give me a sec. Okay, well, um, can I tell you my problem before we go any further? Sure. Um, original, I found boring. Like, criminally boring. We're waiting for that final scene, and that's it. Um, the, which is really hard for me to say, because I, I do love you, Stephen. If you're out there, I love you. Um, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> Hide. <laughs> um, the, uh, the other issue with the sequel is that not only was I bored and waiting for that scene, it just felt like, oh, look, we are able to use CG effects instead of just turning the camera to show like a car clipping over. Look, we can show a car flipping over now. And and all I could think was, so what? It now I'm not not only am I bored all the way through, but there's pissed about the budget. <laughs> but I but I'm at the final scene and I'm just like again, that now not only did I wait for this, I will, it's lackluster. You know what I will agree with? I found it really stupid that they had it that she was like screaming through the stone at the end of the remake. Oh. I thought that was stupid. That it kind of, like, made it look like it was going to crack, and it was, like, her screaming through the stone. I was like, oh, my God. 
why would you put money into that? Look what we can do with computers, guys. That was one thing that I I think was a little over the top. Just Um, a touch? Just a touch, you know? Yeah. Am I twisting you? No. um, (laughs) Are you going to come to my side? I thought you'd appreciate the poetic justice of her mom, who you already said you thought she was the villain watching it. I would argue Don't you find it to be almost poetic justice that the way she dies is like she's like Jesus on the goddamn cross? Considering she locked her daughter in a room where all she could see is this stupid frigging cross. And she's like, you know, you have to stay in there until, you know, you repent for your sins yeah. and shit. How about you stop being a dickhead mom and love your daughter? How about that, bitch? And, and she gets so upset with her because she has her period. It's just yeah. like, it's like. She's like, oh, you're dirty now. And she's like, I'm sorry, menstruation? Yeah. What do you want me to do, mom? Yeah. Meanwhile, she didn't even freaking tell her. Bad parenting 101 right there. Yeah, let's just, I'm just going to give you a, a brief update. 70s, not really the body positive parenting era. Uh, very much into the I'll slap the silly out of you era. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so take that into account as you proceed. Yeah. Uh, but in, in both versions, I thought it was kind of... Uh, how you mentioned last week with Ren and Stimpy how you can feel what's going on in that. I think when you watch Carrie, you can feel, like, when they have the scenes both in the original and the remake, Mm -hmm. you can feel the scenes where, like, she's learning about her powers, and you feel like you can almost feel what she's feeling in the scene, that she's kind of shocked and surprised that she can do this in the first place, but at the same time, she's having this sense of, like, holy shit, I am super friggin' powerful, and it's the best she's ever felt in her life. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to also repress that, which is awful because that's how she's had to be her whole life. She's had to repress who she is because of society, because her mom is who she is. And it's really been damaging to her. Um, but I think you can feel that in both. And it's the same way that you can feel... Um, there's a scene specifically in the remake. I don't think it's in the original one. Um, when You know how Julianne Moore plays... Oh, her right. mom. I forgot. This is how bad that movie is. Oh, my God. That I could turn against Julianne Moore. I love Julianne Moore. The woman is a goddess and the actress amongst... Act- okay, don't cross your eyes at me. <laughs> I feel disrespected. You know you're trying to twist me, right? Like, like butter me up just a little. Do you remember... You know the um, thread cutter? You know the little tool that you use for thread cutting? Yeah, yeah. Didn't you feel the scene where she's talking to the one mom and the mom is trying to make small talk with her and she's stabbing herself in the leg and you can see that she's just digging into her leg so much that it's starting to bleed down her leg. You know, can't you I feel that scene? Forgot that happened, but now it's coming back can't to me. Can't you feel that scene when well, obviously you saw I it? must because it's coming back to me. Either that or you're just painting such a beautiful visual for me that I can see it. <laughs> can't you like feel it when that happens? But that kind of thing that you said was really amazing. Overload. Yeah, I don't care though. You like, don't I'm, care. I, I'm so sorry, Sissy Space, because I do love you in so many things, but this just ain't. And one Julianne of them. Moore too. You love Julianne Moore. Yeah, um, I do. And Chloe Grace Moritz. Uh, and who plays her mom again in the original? I don't remember. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, tip of my tongue, girl. Uh, so whenever you, whenever someone says tip of the tongue, I'm um, tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Uh, anyway, um, there is some sad moments. Characters that are very decent people die. I thought you, okay. I thought you'd talk you talk about Judy Greer that you appreciated. Judy John Greer. Travolta. 
John no, John Travolta deserved to die yeah. in the goddamn movie. I remember movie. John Travolta being He freaking there. cut a pig open, little rat bastard. Yeah. Um, I so, like pigs, too. See, this is this is all going against you. Anyway. I, I know it's the uh, villain. I thought, would it, wouldn't Judy Greer get some brownie points? Because you love Judy Greer. I don't Greer. even remember Judy Greer. She's being. the teacher in the new, the remake one. Daisy, did you hear what I said? Oh, whatever. Um, I am but, yeah. suppressing... Uh, I I particularly find it really uh, I don't know if poignant's the word, it's but I'll, I'll stick with poignant. Give, uh, me, a Tommy Ross, Give me a reason. Give me a reason to Tommy Ross. Who's Tommy Ross? The guy who gets hit with the pail and dies at prom. Okay. Yeah. Don't you find that him showing her like that little bit of kindness and like opening the door of possibilities for her, like holy shit. I got voted prom queen. I got asked to the prom in the first a, place. A things are finally trick, though. Things are. He wasn't in on the trick. No, he wasn't. Excuse me. Do not bring Tommy into this. Um, he was genuinely trying to help her, and his girlfriend was the one that encouraged him to do this in the first place because she too wanted to be nice and show her a kindness because she was sick of her friends being assholes. But she um, doesn't see it that way. But she and she finally like opens herself up and is vulnerable and freaking you know bullying and her mom uh just another rip that shit away from her yeah her mother is a bully um one of the worst ones and i think it's really important to recognize the film separate from the fact that you were like oh i find it boring because like everyone's waiting for the prom scene you're also witnessing this girl's journey through like you know, the ups and downs of adolescence where, like, she feels like shit because at the beginning they're, you know, hauling insults at her because she's got her period and the mom's terrible. And then she finds that she's got powers and it looks positive for her Days. and it's going to shit again, but it's better. Like, the roller coaster that she's going through, Days. you can see why everything happens at prom. Days. It's a story, Chelsea. Why don't you appreciate the story? I don't appreciate it. Oh. I, I am like Stephen King in the regard that I would probably have thrown this one out and chucked it into the garbage. And it, it uh, took Stephen King's wife to make Stephen King what he was, who put it out and went, you know what, this is worth sending out to an agent or two. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Also, it made I, Stephen King Stephen I, King. I can appreciate that Carrie was his start, but there's a reason why it's his start and not his finish, because that shit right there... He's not finished. That's why yeah. it's not his finish. That shit right there. Exactly. That shit right there would, would not be enough. He improved. I, I stick to my original theory. This is completely separate from trying to twist you because I don't think I have. I love, this is going back a little to the book on writing that he did. Oh he talks God. about in it that he was inspired to write the whole thing because he was a janitor. At, at a school. At a school. And he saw, I don't know if it was the girls' bathroom so or just any. Bitches being mean Any old bitches. bathroom and the showers. It kind of just inspired him to write that first he scene. He saw some blood. And just. Let's just say that. It inspired And you know him what he said? Sorry, I just hit you by accident. You know what he said? He said, any animal that bleeds for five to seven days and doesn't naturally die should be shot. Kill him dead. That's what he said. And then he started writing it. And we went, Stephen, Stephen, this is a little dark. And and then he went, fine. I'll write it from the perspective of the girl with the I love period. that you think Stephen King's way more dramatic than he actually is. Have you seen him oh, when yeah, he, he has any conversation? The way I'm tossing my When hair. he has any conversation, it's like talking to a professor. It's like when they describe Wes Craven, it's like talking to a professor. That's what it's like talking to Stephen King. You're making it sound like he's Madonna for crying out loud. <laughs> like he's just going to toss he's his throwing hair. his feather boa aside so that he can make... He, he calls himself Uncle Stevie. I used to have a subscription to Entertainment Weekly because he would review books 
and movies, anything that really caught his fancy. And it was a column, and it was called Uncle Stevie. And he would talk about whatever the fuck he wanted to talk about. And I had a subscription for so long to Entertainment <laughs> Weekly. And I was like, it's worth every penny. And then the second he stopped writing it, I ended my subscription. <laughs> so Entertainment Weekly, you made a dumb mistake. You should bring back Stephen King. That That is more than worth whatever he was charging for the column. Okay. Um, so I didn't twist you. Stephen King's amazing. We're going to continue this conversation next week. Absolutely. With, with our second week in our fortnight, where we'll be discussing three more of his amazing works. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you go and check out loads of Stephen King things because of this. Books, film, whatever the hell you want. Not the we TV don't care. shows. Go support it. No, no, him. no, we care. We care. I am not a Stephen King What do you mean, King not the TV show. shows? Like, Under under the Dome? Under the Dome is freaking awesome. Oh, God. We, I feel another twist the sister coming on. Bye, okay. everybody. Bye.